0: The following audio is from Living Acts Church in Tyler, Texas. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Living Church. All right. Good morning, church. Um, Kyle mentioned this a little bit ago, but... Uh, yesterday around 10 o'clock in the morning or so, Andy texted me and was like, hey man, not feeling well. You might want to, might want to start thinking about, you know, what might happen if I get sick. And I was like, at that time I was gone. I was going to be back to like two and I was like, okay, you know, he's, he's said this before. I'll, I'll text him again in the evening and, and just kind of see what he says. So I texted him again, uh, around like five or so. And he, uh, he said, no, I think I'm going to be good, you know, I, th- like, I, think, I think I'm getting over it and stuff, it's just this, you know, a little cold stuff that just kind of kind of hangs on. So at that point, uh, I, had, I had brainstormed a couple of, of thoughts, but I hadn't put anything to paper, and, and I uh, obviously wrongly took that as, he's good to go, right? <laughs> uh, so this morning at 725, uh, my alarm goes off, I think, at, at 8 or something, if I'm not uh, opening the building, Uh, so I looked over and I I looked at my phone and I saw that it was Andy calling and you know how in the morning you sometimes make really bad decisions like stupid decisions that you wouldn't normally make well there was this like sinful part of me that was like should I even answer it you know like I kind of just want to act like I I ignore it you know but uh, God was faithful and he uh, worked through me to, to swipe to answer and and he said, I'm not feeling well, help, you know. Um, and he just said, preach on. I asked him, if, should I preach on what you're going to preach on or something else? And he just said, preach on whatever comes to your mind. I was like, okay. <laughs> so um, this is what was on my mind, James 4. You can turn in your Bibles there <laughs> if you'd like. Uh, it's funny, this passage that we're looking at today did not come up even once uh, yesterday as I was uh, preparing or thinking about what to preach over but it popped in this morning and that's what counts. So uh, a little little introduction to the book of James, if you're not familiar with it in the New Testament. James is somewhat of a New Testament version of what we see in the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. So uh, you have different genres of literature in the Bible, and uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes we would classify as, as wisdom literature, and we see very similar thought patterns and writing styles in the book of James in the New Testament as well, which is why many people have kind of identified it as a, a wisdom book. So uh, wisdom writings are typically very poetic in nature, and just knowing that that is the genre of a book actually tells us something about the book before we even get into it. Uh, which most significantly, it tells tells us that this book is providing for us these uh, wise principles of living. Okay, so it's not law like we uh, see in the first five books of the Bible. These are not things that, you know, there were uh, set out judgments that you would receive for disobeying wisdom principles. It's not mathematics. It isn't, you know, you do A and then B and then C is what's produced. That's not how wisdom literature works. Uh, a common uh, one that you'll hear talked about in this slide is about raising your children up in the teaching of the Lord and they won't depart from it. That's a wisdom principle, right? It doesn't mean that every children child who, who grows up to reject Christ means that there was some, some problem with their, their uh, parental guidance, right? These are not absolute rules of life. I think about uh, my dad got into a, a car wreck in 2006, and he was not wearing his seatbelt. And the doctors told him that if he would have been wearing his seatbelt, he would have almost certainly died. My uncle got in a wreck a couple months ago. He also was not wearing a seatbelt and suffered some really major injuries and broken bones that the doctor said, if you would have been wearing your seatbelt, basically none of this would have happened. I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd pretty much be fine right now, right? So an unwise person might look at those situations and say, I'll take my odds, right? Wear a seatbelt, don't wear a seatbelt, but a wise person is gonna survey the data that we have, which tells us that the vast majority of the time wearing a seatbelt belt is something that will protect us, right? What will, will lead to our good, okay? So uh, something of like a modern wisdom saying for seatbelts would be want to avoid your demise, a seatbelt would be wise, right? <laughs> it's not saying it's gonna save your life every time, but it's a good idea, you should wear one. So just because again, we have rare instances where these things can be defied um, or, or overcome in some way doesn't negate the truthfulness of the principle itself. So with this in mind, uh, if you would now please stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. It's going to be in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Let's walk through this text, uh, kind of verse by verse, starting with, with verse 13, which says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a, a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, okay? So as James is saying, come now, he's, he's basically trying to gather in his target audience, okay? He's saying, all of you people who do this, I need you to pay attention, Okay? So in our culture today, in, in modern America, James' target audience would basically fit all of us, and, and part of the reason for this is that we live in, again, a, a, a very divided society, but, but also a, a secular society, uh, and that means a lot of things, but uh, one of the things that it means is that we don't often have things of the divine interwoven into daily conversations and aspects of our life. So so really, I think this this uh, wisdom principle that he's about to share is very applicable for all of us. So in verse 13, he gives this example phrase of, of what his target audience says, which is, is pretty basic, right? It says, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Okay, so this is basically a, a business plan, but really... Uh, any confident statement about the future could could be inserted here when we think about the applications for for this kind of uh, passage. Uh, and one thing to notice here is that there is a significant amount of time assumed in this saying. This guy is is thinking that he's going to be going somewhere for a year, and he, he's very confident that these things are going to work out as he intends. So I'm sure that we can all think of times where we think and and speak, Uh, like this example that James gives. We talk about five-year plans. uh, Students talk about, you know, where they're going to get a job after they graduate. Uh, We talk about what our our kids will be one day or what vacation we want to take a couple years from now, right? We we constantly talk about our futures. Just last night, uh, I was having a conversation with Hannah about my plans for Sunday morning. uh we uh, we have a, a friend in town mr mr lee who uh he he comes in and stays with us once a year and teaches these cool science camps to to kids and uh we were talking about where we we're going to sit this morning, And because I normally sit on the front row, as you know, because it's easy for me to get up and get out. But it's like with the guests, you don't really want to make them sit on the front row. So we're like, well, okay, well, I, you know, I could sit back farther. I'm just doing the pastoral prayer so I can just pop in, pop out. Uh, I'll need to make sure that I sit on the edge, though, so I don't have to, like, walk past people awkwardly when I go up there. So we'll just kind of sit midway on the side. Uh, I'll pop up, do the pastoral prayer. We'll come back and have a good seating spot for service tomorrow. And then 7.25 came around this morning, and I was like, well, that was a useless waste of my time. <laughs> so I'm not sitting with you guys today, but we do this all the time, right? We talk about the future, uh, and, and we need to. It's a necessity of how we communicate about our life. And, and this is the kind of thing that, that James is, is pointing, uh, pointing at, but there's, there's something much deeper that we're going to see as we move on. So let's continue now. In verse 14, he says, yet... You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. All right, so this is a huge gut check, right? James is saying that we talk about our future with such certainty, but we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, anything could happen tomorrow. And he asks this, this question that I just love. Yes. What is your life, right? I mean, have you ever thought about asking somebody that? I mean, th- think about maybe, maybe next time your kids are talking too proudly about their future, you just sit down and ask them, what is your life? You know, that's not a good idea. You probably shouldn't do that. But such a strange question, but one we should ponder. What is our, our life, right? How do we think about this future and this life that God has, has given us? But James answers this question with the concept that he pulls straight out of the Old Testament wisdom literature, which is that you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Talk about a self-esteem boost. (laughs) This is not going to do it, right? Your life is a mist that is here one moment and vanishes the next. If you go and read uh, Ecclesiastes, it, it talks a lot about this reality. And one of my favorite pictures from that book is it it, uh, it, the preacher in the book calls us to consider the mountains. And he says, consider, consider these mountains, how long they were here before you were born and how much longer they will remain after you die. (laughs) You know, it's like, just think about that for a few minutes and, and think about what it does to you, right? For, for a lot of us, when our, our knee-jerk reaction is to see ourselves in the center of our world and to see ourselves often as more important than we are, considering something so obvious as a mountain can be humbling for us because it makes us realize how temporary we are. It calls us to not think too highly of ourselves. And you might be thinking, man, this sermon is a drag so far. Tomorrow, my life could dramatically change. It's just a miss. It's here one day, gone the next. This is a bummer. But actually, this reality frees us from many terrible things. When we come face to face with our our smallness, with our temporary life, even with our, our our insignificance, we're free to quit looking at ourselves all the time and look at the one who planted those mountains. I can quit letting anxiety rule my life as I carry this unbearable pressure of being a famous writer or legendary or someone who's just the best. Nicholas Zinzendorf, if that's how you say his name, uh, apparently once said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. And this in in some ways, I think, wraps up the Christian life. This is not all inclusive. Don't uh, think that this is a whole of our theology, but but just think about that preach the gospel die be forgotten and that that is the christian life and it really is a wonderful life because we weren't created to be the center right we weren't created to be to be worshiped or sustain the universe on our shoulders but rather to look to the one who is worthy because jesus is the point and it's all about him not about us so james says your life is a mist Thousands and thousands of years go by, and you're here for a blip of it. And not only that, but but consider the fact that you could die in the next five minutes. I mean, terrifying to think about, and yet there's wisdom in in recognizing our fragility and and the fact that we have no idea what's going to come within the next hour of our life. It's, It's very, very humbling. So James says, instead of this this, uh, arrogant and overly confident talk about your future, verse 15, he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So James uh, says that we ought to be the people who say, if the Lord wills. And I want to pause here for a moment and talk about this concept of the will of the Lord, because this is something that uh, I remember uh, hearing about Google searches and how, like, one of the one of the the most search questions on the internet uh, when it comes to religious questions was, uh, "What is God's will?" or "What is God's will for my life?" And this is something that people are eager and itching to find out. And uh, I think think part of the confusion actually that might come from uh, our understanding of, of God's will, ironically, is that we oversimplify this reality. Throughout history, many theologians have pointed out that uh, a lot of problems come up when you look at this concept in Scripture, There these apparent contradictions, but they've also come through to, to show uh, helpful ways of thinking about how we sort these things out. So I wanted to run, run through some of these things first. So uh, what is the, the problem when we talk about understanding God's will? Let's consider a few verses. Ezekiel eighteen twenty three. We read the Lord saying this, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. Okay, so here you, you see the will of the Lord expressed, right? That he's, he's not delight in the death of the wicked, that none should should perish or die. And in 2 Samuel 2, we read about Eli, who is rebuking his sons because of all the ways they're rebelling against the Lord. And in verse 25, we read this. But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Okay, so one verse, right? It's God's will that, that they should all turn, right, and not perish from their sin. But in another verse, we see that it was the will of the Lord to... to, to um, to judge these people in death for their sinfulness, okay? Seems to be a problem, right? And an apparent contradiction. We see examples like this all throughout scripture. Another couple that come to mind is, is in 1 Peter 2.15. It says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. But in Philippians 1.29, we read Paul saying, for it has been granted to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, which would at least include the reality that often our, our good deeds don't end up silencing the ignorance of foolish people. As a matter of fact, sometimes our good deeds enrage people who are persecuting us, right? And, and only uh, tack on to our, our suffering. Okay, so, so what do we do with this? What, how, how do we understand this concept of the will of God? Well, people have distinguished uh, between two concepts of, of God's will that I want us to kind of walk through that I think will be very helpful. So uh, they distinguish between God's will of decree and God's will of command. And another way of putting this would be God's secret will and his revealed will. So God's will of decree or his, his uh, secret will, depending on which uh, title you'd want to give there, refers to what God in actuality wills to come to pass. Okay, so, so whenever things happen in history, this refers to God's sovereign will of decree, right? He has declared that, that these events shall come to pass. And God's will of command or his revealed will, on the other hand, refers to the things that God has spoken to us that he desires, okay? This would include his law, his commandments, and his character, right? As we learn the character of God, we learn what he desires or wills of us. Now, to make the most sense of this, I think we want to turn to the place where all things come together to make sense, which is the cross, okay? So in that famous passage that we read about in Isaiah 53, 10, we read a passage or a a verse that speaks about Jesus's death on the cross. And this is what it says. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Now at Jesus's baptism, we hear God, the father saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, Right? I mean, you can see how these things appear to be contradictory, right? It was God's will to crush his own son and yet it was, it was also clearly everywhere that we see in the New Testament, God's will to love and to give good to his son, right? So, so how do these things come together? What we see here is while it is true that God's revealed will certainly shows us that God does not delight or will or, or choose the death of his own son, We also know that in this specific case, he did will or decree that his son be put to death because of what the death of Christ meant for the saints, right? Without the death of Christ, we could not be saved. We could not have eternal life. Not only this, but the father knows that in his secret will or his will of decrees that in three days he is going to raise his son from the dead, right? Another uh, uh, helpful tool I think that we get from Jonathan Edwards is he uh, talks about these things in regards to a magnifying lens, okay? So he says you you could think about these two different types of wills that are talked about in this sense. So God and his uh, infinite wisdom and eternality and uh, omniscience, can zoom in to an event like the crucifixion. He can see his son being hanged for the sins of the world. He, he can see that the suffering, the injustice that's taking place here, and he can be heartbroken over this, right? It's certainly true that he does not will the, the pain and the suffering of his own son in the sense that he does not delight in it. And yet, because he is God, he can also zoom out, he can see the cross in light of all of redemptive history, and he can say that he wills to crush his son, because he knows what the death of Christ accomplishes. He sees it in all of its glory and beauty. So so we have to make those uh, th- those kind of recognitions when we're reading the word of God, because Again, we, we just have this one word, will, that we see in all these places in scripture. But uh, most commonly, people are, are thinking, when they hear about the will of God, they're thinking about his revealed will. Um, what does he desire of me to do? What is his will of command? But that's not what James is talking about in this passage. When he says, if the Lord wills, he's saying, if God decrees that this or that happen in the future. So it's important that we make that distinction and understand what he is speaking about here. So James is, is, is speaking about and think, or wants us to speak and think about our futures in such a way where we not only consider God's will of command, but also his will of decree. Now, is, is James really just getting caught up in, in words here? I think this is a good and important question for us to ask. Is he being picky about the words that we're using? Because uh, I w- would ask, isn't it fair to say that we can both acknowledge the fact that our plans may fall through, right, that God may have something else, but we might not reflect that in our language? And, and that is true, right? I, I could speak about something that's going to happen a year from now, but if you were to ask me, are you sure? I'd say no course not, right? I mean, of course I'm not sure. So, so why is he, is he drawing this out? There's three reasons that I want to point to. The first is that our words are an overflow of our heart. As verse 16 uh, shows us in this passage, James makes the connection that people who talk with sure confidence about their future are speaking from a heart of arrogance. Okay. They're assuming that they are in control whenever they speak about their future. They're assuming that, well, I've made these plans and therefore they will happen, right? Vice versa, those who speak about their plans and say, if the Lord wills, then we will go to this or that place. Those people show that they have a recognition of God's control, his sovereignty in the world. And secondly, our words are also formative for our lives. We've lost the awareness of this mostly in our culture because we have, again, very little unity uh, in our nation, but if you ever wondered why the Christians of old would greet one another with greetings like, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Seems like a really lengthy greeting, right? It's not very efficient. If you want to start a conversation, that's not, not a quick way to do it. Or consider why Muslims greet one another with the standard Islamic greeting, "Assalamu alaikum." which means peace unto you. Okay, are these just kind of old traditions that have have hung around meaninglessly? I don't think so. The reason is because religious groups of all sorts have understood something about the way that we have been wired, which is that our words have a very deep impact on the way that we think And live. The more that we uh, hear certain things, the more that we say certain things, the more that they have the power to transform our lives. Why do we think that when we read the Proverbs, there's all these warnings to to guard our mouths and guard our ears, right? It's because what what comes in, what goes out, all those things have have a very big impact on who we are, right? And they, they reach our heart at a deeper level than we often recognize. So God calls us to reflect our Christian worldviews in our speech for both our good and for the good of our neighbors. I mean, I've been been talking to people before, and uh, I'm just encouraged by the way that they have the gospel interwoven into their conversation. Um, Because it reminds me of of the, the goodness of the gospel that saved me, right? So this isn't just for our good, but it's for the good of the community, and then third, acknowledging God's sovereign hand over our lives is a command for our joy. Okay, you may have plans for the future that you're, you're really excited about, but as, as Christians who believe Romans eight twenty eight that that God is working all things for our good, it is a really awesome thing to say, if the Lord wills then I'll be doing this or that. Because you you understand in that statement that whatever the Lord wills will be the best, right? Because he's the one who is king. Uh, I, I was thinking about this uh, recently in regards to the, the building. If you're a, a guest with us, we uh, are on our way to uh, building a, a new space for the church. Uh, super excited about that. And it's been a, a couple year process. And throughout that process, I remember very early on, uh, getting very excited and hopeful about the building and thinking, I need to tether my expectations to reality. <laughs> so uh, I, I began in my conversation with people to say, yeah, if the Lord wills, you know, we'll be doing this in that building. If the Lord wills, then we'll be here by, by this time. And and honestly, starting out, it kind of became this like protection for my own hopes, you know, uh, what's that? Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick or something like that. Um, uh, it, it was a protection for me to not build up my hopes in something that I didn't know was, that was going to come about. So, but, but over time, I realized that as I began, and, and again, it wasn't just because I was saying it. Because that idea was, was being interwoven into my head, it became a joyous one. I wasn't worried about if God was going to put us in this building or that building or this year or that year, or what he was going to do, because I knew that it's up to the Lord right? He's the king. He's the one who controls our future, and he's the one who will bring all things about for our good. So so, so doing this, uh, uh, heeding James's command to say, if the Lord wills, ends up being something that gives life to us. It enables us to trust the Lord more uh, and place our faith properly in the one who deserves it. Lastly, in verses 16 and 17, We read, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So James here calls out the sin that's involved with speaking overconfidently about the future. He says, these people boast in their arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So when we brag about our future again, we're, we're not showing that we believe that God is the one who is the author of history. God is the one who is the author of our lives. Then I love how, how James closes this section in verse 17 by saying that whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Okay, this is, this is such a good verse to really encapsulate wisdom literature. Okay, God has, has given you his spirit, the spirit of wisdom. Okay, so, so again, wisdom literature is not something that is formulaic where it's like, okay, every time I talk about the future, I need to say if the Lord wills in front of it. As a matter of fact, I would urge you not to do that. Okay, if after church, you're talking with somebody and you're like, hey, man, where you want to go to lunch? And, and that person's like, you know, torches if the Lord wills. You don't want to be that guy, all right? Um, like, just, it, this is not the point of what James is getting across, okay? Um, rather, he even calls on you to be the one who discerns by the spirit within you what is right, what is wrong with this, okay? If you know the right thing to do and fail to do it, then for you, it is sin. So, honestly, I, I don't think this ever has to do with the specifics of our words, and yet, I can remember many times in my life where after a conversation, uh, or maybe not even a conversation, maybe it's just me thinking about my future, where I look back and I say, man, I, I've been thinking about this in a very ungodly way. I've been, I've been considering all of these things about my life as though I'm the one who, who drives the car. <laughs> I'm the one who's going to guarantee, you know, that I go this way or that way. If I make these plans, then surely they'll come through but as Christians, we have to acknowledge that God calls us to a humble dependence on him, right? A humble dependence on the fact that he is the one who leads and guides our every step. So when we live as though we are God and we're in control of the future, we live in arrogance and we dishonor God, but but humble hearts will acknowledge him as the sovereign king of his creation. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it breathes life into our souls. God, we thank you that you have revealed to us wisdom and knowledge and truth and grace. And God, we thank you that all the wisdom revealed in your word is ultimately a picture of true wisdom, which is your son, Jesus Christ, the wise teacher who leads us into life everlasting. Lord, I pray God, that uh, we would be a church who understand that you are king and that we are not. I pray that we would be a church who rests solely on your grace. I pray that we would be a church that hope first and foremost in the second coming of your son before we hope in anything today or tomorrow or a year from now. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would Uh, help us to be humbled before the reality of our frailness. I pray, God, that you would draw us closer to yourself and help us to be more dependent on you as we recognize uh, just how holy you are. And Lord, I pray, lastly, in Jesus' name, that you would remind us of the fact that your commands are not burdensome and your teachings give life. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on Living Acts Church, please visit our website www.livingactschurch.com or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash livingactschurch.